Well, good morning, everybody. And uh, good morning to you. And then I don't know where you look when you say this, but good morning to all those who are listening because you were fishing this weekend. Um, if you're listening to the podcast right now and you are fishing, you actually have an excused absence uh, because today we're starting a brand new series called Go Fish. So the things that you're doing out there in the lake or how many got out on the lake yesterday or, all right, did you? Any luck? Uh, that's kind of what I've been hearing, kind of been hearing. Some people said the weather was too nice for what they were trying to, trying to catch. Um, if, uh, if you were fishing this last weekend or fishing uh, today while this is being recorded, you get extra credit, as I mentioned, because we're going to be starting this brand new series called Go, Go Fish. And, uh, and let's uh, jump right in. If you have your Bibles this morning, let's open up to Matthew chapter 4. If you don't have your Bibles, don't worry, we'll put all the words up on the screen. And also, if you don't have a Bible at home, we would love to send you home with one today. There's no cost at all to you for that. We have a stack of Bibles every Sunday there by the resources table. And if you don't have a Bible at home, please take one home uh, so that you can, uh, can look through that. All right, well, here we go. Matthew chapter 4, uh, verses 18 through 22. Um, this is where Jesus calls his first disciples. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. Simon called who? Peter, remember that name, because we're going to look at an account of Peter later on, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once, they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother, who? John, remember that name, because we'll come back to him as well. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Now, the context of this passage that we just read is in the book of Matthew. The Bible is divided into two sections, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Many people, I, I was, as I was doing some research, I found that uh, there are people, there are scholars who call Matthew the New Testament Genesis. So we were just looking at a passage from the New Testament Genesis, and the part that we looked at is when Jesus is calling his first disciples. So in the first book of the New Testament, when Jesus is first pulling together these people, creating this this new humanity, um, this is the invitation he extends. very first invitation is to come, follow me, and what? I'll make you fishers. I'll, I'll help you fish for people. I will, depending on the translation, I'll make you fishers of men. I'll send you out to fish for people. There's a place, we're, we're getting into this right away, right, this morning. If you want to pull out, we have a notes page in your, in your, um, your bulletin. Uh, if you want to write this down, please, write down followers fish. Followers fish. When Jesus says, come follow me, one of the things he calls the followers to do is to fish. So followers fish. We just say that with me just for fun. Followers fish. One more time. Followers fish. Just the men, followers fish. Just the ladies, followers fish. Now in Greek, uh, just kidding. Uh, uh, Tony could get it. Ichthys something. I say it all the time. All right. Um, well, anyway, this is how Jesus kicks things off. I've never thought of it in that way before. In the, in the New Testament Genesis, this is how Jesus kicks it off with this invitation. Come follow me. Come follow me. And I'll teach you. I'll make you into something you're not yet. You're going to be fishing for people. That's what the invitation is. And it's interesting to note, of all the things Jesus could have said first thing out of the gate, this is what he says. He didn't say, come follow me, I'm going to make you holy. Come follow me, and I'm going to make you more disciplined. Come follow me, and I'm going to give you a superior moral code. Come follow me, I'll help you become a better you. 
Instead, Jesus says, come follow me, and I'm going to make you fishermen, fishers of men. You know, Jesus uh, doesn't, as we've, as we've said in so many different ways before, Jesus doesn't just call us to become consumers of programs. He doesn't call us to be attenders of services. In fact, in this specific case, to this specific group of people, he extends this invitation, come follow me, and I'm going to make you so that you're going to be fishing for people. There's, there's all kinds of family expectations that, that come with being a follower of Jesus, and this is one of them, and a primary one. Followers are expected to fish. Now, without question, all of the disclaimer stuff here, without question, there's things that God wants to do for you. There's things that God wants to do in you. But there's also things that God wants to do through you, and one of them is to fish. This whole idea of, of fishing. God wants everyone in the family to fish. And... Even as those words come out of my mouth, it, it, it's so clear that in our culture, this is one of the worst things that Jesus could have asked us to do. In our culture. This is one of the most unacceptable things you can be called to do in our culture. That don't, it doesn't involve physically causing harm to somebody else. This is one of the most unacceptable things in our culture. That you, can, that you can ask people to do. It's not politically correct. It puts us in awkward situations. And it can cost us. In fact, I remember uh, the first time I tried fishing, in Jesus' name. Um, I had, uh, ju- it was the summer after my so- sophomore year of high school. I had just gone on a, a short-term mission trip to Mexico. It, it, it changed me. I had an experience there for the first time. I had a personal experience with God that, that forever marked me. Um, about this time, too, I had been exposed to, uh, to this conference. It was called the International Lutheran Conference on the Holy Spirit. They used to meet in Minneapolis Auditorium, was it? Someplace in Minneapolis. I was young. Was that where it was? And I'd seen things there that I'd never seen before. Never seen before. So all this was happening in my life. And my best buddy, Steve, he he wasn't there for any of it. So having these experiences, I'm like, okay, I'm going to fish. I'm going to try to share these things that I've seen. I'm going to try to share these things that I've heard. I'm going to try to share these things I've experienced. I'm going to try to share these with Steve. So um, I, I planned out this, this whole, whole night. We have, I grew up on a little farm. And uh, when I got to high school, we took a chicken coop that we had, and we gutted the thing, we sheetrocked it, we put in you know, um, outlets and carpet, and you know, carpet that you would find, right? We put in this whole kind of kitchenette area. We had this wood stove. We had a pool table. We, we just decked this thing out as best we could. And so I'm like, we're going to have an overnight there, and I'm, we're going to have some fun, and I'm just going to, I'm going to share what's going on. The fun part went great. When we got to the sharing part, it, it turned awkward. And it ended up costing me my best friend. And as I look back on that account and that, that thing, that time, I would hope that going back, I, I, I could have done things differently or said things differently, but I hope going back, if I were, I would have still had that same passion and desire to share the things that I had seen, to share the things that I had heard, and to do everything I could to, to, to help him understand what was happening in my life, what had happened 2,000 years ago, and the effect that, that had on our world today. I wish I would have st- still had that compulsion to, to fish, as Jesus said, even if I would have done it um, differently. Uh, if you're not a Christian and you are with us today, I'm so glad you are. Um, I'm always glad that you are. But one of the reasons I'm specifically glad that you're here today is 
Not because I'm so naive that I think what I say is going to change your mind about anything. I'm, I'm not naive on that, in, in that way. Um, but my hope is today, you'll at least come away with understanding why we're compelled to fish as believers. That's the, the question we're going to try to work, wrestle with today. Why fish? Why do we do this? You know, why? Why, why don't we just keep it to ourselves? Why can't we be content? You believe what you want to believe, we'll believe what we believe. And let's just agree to disagree. You know, why can't we just do that? Why do Christians have to butt into other people's lives and share these things with them? Why can't we just, you know, let you be, let, let ourselves be? It would be a lot easier if we could, wouldn't it? It would be a lot easier if we could. Because we know full well that as we do what we were instructed to do, there will be people who mock us for all kinds of different reasons. There will be people who persecute us in all kinds of different ways. We know full well, because the Bible itself says, we know full well that the message we proclaim is foolishness to enlightened Western thinkers. Not only that, it's a stumbling block to those who embrace the Old Testament and not the New. So we we know this, and the Bible tells us. You've got this message of foolishness to proclaim to the world. Great. You have things that will not make sense. In fact, the wisdom of God is going to seem like foolishness to the world. This is your message. Go proclaim it from the rooftops, from the mountaintops. So I hope, as as a person who's not a conscious follower of Jesus, I hope you at least understand why as we work through this. Maybe it'll make some more sense to you. Because it's not about us thinking we have a superior knowledge in the sense of head knowledge. It's not because we think um, we have things figured out and you don't. It's for different um, reasons than, than that, or certainly for a, a fuller reason than that. Um, why do we fish? Well, it comes down to a man named Jesus. That's why we fish. It comes down to a man named Jesus, who, interestingly enough, um, was symbolized from very early on with, um, with a symbol that looks something like this. Anyone ever recognize, anyone recognize this symbol? Yeah, there's even a name for it. It's an ancient Greek word. See what? Ichthys, yeah, yes. Um, and that word came to be associated with Jesus extremely early on. You can find that word in carvings, that ancient Greek work, in carvage, carvings that date way back. You know, I think some would argue that that term um, was used before the cross as a symbol for Christianity. Some would argue that. It, it, this, this, this is why we fish, because of this person who became associated even with the word fish from very, very early on. Well, if you have your Bibles, what I want to do now is we're going we're gonna to move to an account because um, rather than just kind of jump into theory, I want to show you this in action. I want to show you an example of two of the people that Jesus called to do this, Peter and John, a real-life account of, of a time where they went fishing and the results, some of them good, some of them um, didn't appear good. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn to the book of Acts, and we're going to look at, we'll start with verse 3. We're going we're to look at a lot of scripture today. I'll, I'll do my best to keep it, keep it moving. Acts chapter 3, um, uh, beginning with verse 1. We're going to look at an account here that spans a couple chapters, but an account that, is, uh, that I think will help us to see this and understand it better. So here we go, Acts chapter 3, starting with verse 1. One day, who and who? Peter and John. So, and these are the same Peter and John that Jesus said, come, I'll make you fishers of men. Here what Jesus says comes to pass. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame for how long? 
from birth was being carried to the temple gate called beautiful. Um, Notice the specifics here. Luke is the author of the book of Acts through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He includes details all the time. He was a historian and he really paid attention to details. So he, he names out the gate, the gate here. Being called to a gate called Beautiful. Where he was going to, uh, where he was put, this lame person was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, Look at us. So the man gave him his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, Silver or gold, I do not have. <laughs> Anyone relate to that? <laughs> If you had gold right now, well, it's worth a lot of money. But he didn't have any. Um, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you in the name of who? Jesus Christ. Specific. In the name of Jesus Christ, not in the name of the all, in the name of this God that I serve. Specifically, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. He was lame for how long? Since birth. For the first time in his life, he jumps up and begins to walk. How many of you ever, your, feet, your legs fall asleep and you can't even, you've only had that happen for a little bit, you can't get up and walk. He, he had been lame from birth. He jumps up and, and walked. Then he went with them to the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at all that had happened to him. Okay, so this amazing miracle happens. And Peter and John think, fishing opportunity. Fishing opportunity. Look what happens next. While the man held on to Peter and John, awkward... You can picture this. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Okay, yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, while the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished. They came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, people of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant who? There's that name again. It's Jesus, 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 Jesus. They just keep talking about Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though Pilate had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one, and you asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of who? Jesus. This man whom you see and know was made strong. It is whose name? Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Now, brothers and sisters, I know you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through the prophets, saying his Messiah would suffer. Repent then, turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Peter starts preaching. He sees this invitation. Here, God does something. People come running. And Peter says, I got to talk about who? 
Jesus. Not just the power of God. I need to, I need to get the Jesus piece in here. And what's, what's interesting, to say the least to note here, is that Jesus had been executed and crucified not too long ago. This isn't years later. These were recent events. And now it looks like the pattern's about to be repeated because the very same people who, who pleaded with Pilate to execute Jesus are now coming on the scene. Okay, And this is where we'll pick up. Let's jump ahead now to chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. Tap them on the shoulder. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in who? Jesus, the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put him in jail till the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So that the number of men, and they're not counting women and children, this isn't a generic man, I believe this is a men-men here, who believed grew to about how many? 5,000. That's not a bad day of fishing right there. You catch 5,000, that's a... You, you got a what's that? Nothing? Yeah, that's a, that's a, good, that's a good day of fishing. Um, and again, don't miss the magnitude of this because... This is the same Peter who denied Jesus three times. This, and, and, and this is just relatively soon after that. He, this is the same Peter that denied Jesus. And now he's speaking extremely publicly, extremely boldly about Jesus. He's proclaiming Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And what does the religious, religious establishment do? They throw Peter and John in prison. Now, the Sadducees who are named here, they didn't like um, this idea of the resurrection. But they didn't see, at least as far as I know, they didn't throw people in jail for it. Um, Because the Pharisees believed in the resurrection, they didn't throw all the Pharisees in jail. There was more to it than them just not liking their speaking of the resurrection of the dead here. It was the Jesus piece. That they're like, ugh! You know what? You can even talk about the resurrection of the dead. It'll bother us, but we can agree to disagree about that. But why do you keep bringing Jesus into this? Just let him be dead. You know, we killed him. Do you remember? So, let's keep picking up with the story. Um, Acts chapter 4, 5, 5 through 6. The next day, so Peter and John are in prison. This is the next day. Um, they convene this high court in the mornings, as far as I understand. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. All right, I want to pause at this point and, and just point out a couple things about these guys. These, this is the A-listers. This list is the A-listers, and I think that's why Luke includes these names. Annas was an extremely powerful and, uh, and influential person. He had served a time as high priest, and here he still is referred to as high priest. It's almost like a, a president who's always referred to as president. He also appears extremely influential. It's my understanding that he was appointed by Rome. Isn't that correct? He was appointed by Rome to serve in this position. He was so influential that five of his kids became high priests including one named John. I don't know if that's the same John being referred to as here. But Annas was extremely influential. And not only that, Annas was one of the people who who actually interrogated Jesus before his execution. He was one of the people that was there interrogating Jesus. Caiaphas was his son-in-law, I believe, was at, at this time the high priest. 
and another extremely, I mean, as high priest, extremely influential person. Caiaphas was high priest as Jesus was being tried and executed. So here are these people, if anything, they're going to be bolder now because they were able to have Jesus put to death, or so they thought. So here they're thinking, oh, we, can, we can do it. Who are you? I mean, a bunch of fishermen? We can, we can have you guys taken out. This is not a big deal. But here they are, bold in front of them. Okay, so that's the, the account continues uh, with verse 7. All right, so the, all these people, they had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter filled with what? The Holy Spirit. Keep that in the back of your mind as you look at the Holy Spirit working here because we're going to come back to that next week, this whole idea of the Holy Spirit. By what power? Luke answers that, by the Holy Spirit. Peter doesn't reference that, though, at this point. He, he goes to that question of what name. Um, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, says to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this. You and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of who? Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom what? Whom you crucified. Those of you who have kind of that uh, part of your personality, we see that in the Bible and what's all that. And, and, who you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved. Well, the power players ask a question, and they give an answer. In fact, you could say Peter and John are now trying to fish again. They're casting their net, this time, out to the, um, to the, the power players. But the power players... Are they biting? No, they're not, they're, they're, they're not biting. So these powerful men aren't. Um, let's keep continuing. Acts chapter 4, verse 14 through 18. But since they, these powerful people, could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there's nothing they could say. So they ordered Peter and John to withdraw from the Sanhedrin, and then they conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they performed a notable sign. We can't deny that. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Now, there are so many times when you read the, the Bible where what was written then seems to ring true today. And boy, in our culture, this seems to ring true. You can talk about like a fuzzy... It's okay in most situations to talk about God as long as you keep it fuzzy, right? You know, that's okay. In most situations, even in public, they still have public prayers. They just want to censor what you do and don't say about your God. You can talk in general terms about God in most situations, just don't get too specific. And don't mention the Jesus piece. People, you mention the Jesus piece, they're like, you know, 
And, and it's so ironic. It's so similar to this, what we just read. Because think of how many hospitals were founded in Jesus' name. Think of how much good has been done in Jesus' name. Think how many homeless people aren't homeless because of Jesus' name and what he was doing in people. Think of all the wonderful things on par with the wonder of a man being healed. Think of all these things that have happened in Jesus' name, but then we're not expected to talk about that. Just, you can talk about God, but don't bring up the Jesus piece. We like what you've done. We can't deny that good things are happening. We can't. We can't deny that. Just don't, don't bring up the Jesus piece. You know, one of the things we haven't really touched on yet is that Jesus, or not Jesus, Peter and John, they're, they're talking with religious people here. They're talking with religious men. Did you catch that? And the significance of that? They're not talking with people who share a completely different worldview. Now, at that time, there was diversity among Jewish thinkers. There was. There was some diversity. But the diversity among the Jewish thinkers is nothing compared to the diversity in our culture today. You could, if you're comparing the diversity then with the diversity now, these guys are on the same page, you know, in terms of their basic understanding of the world. The, the religious people that Jesus or that Peter and John are talking to, they believe that Adam and Eve were literal people, that God created the world. They have the same understanding of origins. They believe in they both believe in Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. They believe in Moses and the miracles that Moses did. They share this much. You know, it's not like Peter and John are talking to people who this I, that are completely on a different page. It's just this Jesus piece that is so hard, this, that, that ends up dividing them. This is what divides them. This is what divides them. So the religious leaders, they can't deny the miracle, but they can't embrace Jesus. I mean, after all, they killed him. That would look really bad, among other things. You know? So instead, what they, they say is, okay, we can't deny this miracle. Something obviously happened here. And, and you know what? If you want to credit God, I'm putting my own words in here now, but if you want to credit God, credit God. That's great. But no more talking about Jesus. No more talking about Jesus. <laughs> and that was something Peter and John just couldn't do. Let's keep moving. Acts chapter 4, um, verses 19 through 20. So Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes? To listen to you or to listen to God? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have what? Seen and what we have heard. All right, in your notes, um, if you'd be so kind as to circle, find that verse, Acts 4, 19 through 20, and circle it. I put them in bold. Circle that seen and heard because I think that is absolutely huge. I think this is the punchline, if, if there is one here. This is the punchline. They cannot stop speaking about what they had seen and what they had heard. If this was just a worldview, maybe they could stop speaking about it. If this was just a belief that they held, maybe they could stop speaking about it. If it was just a philosophy, they could stop speaking about it. In fact, if any of that was true, if this was just ideas that they held, even held deeply, then it's like, okay, Let's find our common ground in God. Let's agree to disagree about the rest. But they couldn't shut up because of what they had seen and what they had heard. 
They couldn't be quiet about that. Christianity isn't just like a religion. It's not just a set of ideas or ideals. It is grounded in history. It's grounded in reality. It's grounded in things that happened, things that people had seen, things that people heard, things that are happening now, things that we see, things that we have heard. Peter and John didn't say, we cannot keep speaking about what we believe. They said, we can't keep from speaking about what we have seen and heard. They saw the miracles that Jesus performed. They saw him get killed. And after he was dead, they saw him again. And they sat under the teaching of a resurrected Messiah who opened up the scriptures and said, this had to happen. This is part of God's plan. Now go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. They had seen that. And later, as Jesus had promised, they personally had this encounter with the Holy Spirit of God that filled them with boldness, filled them with power, and was doing wonderful things in their midst. So here's, here's their mindset. The reason we can't shut up is because something happened in this city, and you know it. How long did it take you to sew up that temple curtain, by the way? <laughs> That's what I would have said. <laughs> I would have been shot on sight with some bone arrow or something, you know. Why, how long did it take you? So if this isn't true, why did you have to pay off those guards that were guarding the tomb? This isn't true. You know this is true. These are things we have seen. These are things heard. These are things you have seen. These are things you have heard. Fellas, something has happened in this city, and guess what? We're a part of it. We can't explain it all. Sometimes it doesn't even make sense to us. Did you catch that? They didn't have a need to explain it all. And in fact, it didn't always make sense to them. But they're like, this is what we've seen. This is what we heard. We'll put the pieces together later. This is what we've seen. This is what we heard. We can't deny this. And either can you. You summoned us here because of something Jesus did. And now you want us to leave the Jesus piece out of it? This doesn't even make sense. Are you, you even listening to yourselves? You know... This doesn't even make sense. He was healed by the power of Jesus. You don't want us to talk about Jesus. Okay. This isn't, again, think in their mindset. This isn't my theology versus your theology. This isn't I think God is like versus you think God is like. This isn't just about thinking. This is about things they had seen. This is about things they had heard. And their thought was, you can toss us back in prison. You can torture us. But none of that will change the fact that these things happen. You may, able to get, you may be able to get our tongues to say things we don't believe. That won't change the fact these things happened. We saw you kill him. But we saw something more powerful than anything you can do to us. We saw God raise him from the dead. Whom then shall we fear? Well, that's the story I wanted to show you. And now with our last couple minutes um, that we have, let's try to apply this account to this question of why do we fish. There's a place to write these things in your notes. Um, You can write down followers fish if you haven't already. And then the first reason that we fish is because the good news is really, really good. Now, we're not going to spend much time on this now because this is something we come back to over and over and over again, something we will come back to over and over and over again, the implications of this life that Jesus lived, the life that he died or the way that he died, and the fact that God rose him again. Why that is such good, good news. But let's move on to the second one, because this is more unique to today. 
Why do followers fish? One of the reasons is because Christianity is grounded in history. Now, I want to thank, um, give credit where credit is due. I want to thank a guy, a pastor named Andy Stanley. Uh, the first time I heard this articulated was, was in a series he did called Go Fish. And I, I love that he articulated this, and then he matched it with the story that we just looked at. This is paradigm shifting for me. Because so often, I find myself trying to go worldview to worldview. And I feel like I've got to convince people intellectually. And yes, that's part of fishing is helping overcome obstacles, helping to explain things. But that's not the main reason we fish. Because if Christianity were as simple as a worldview, then someone could come up with it on their own. If it's just something that you could go out in the wilderness, think a lot about, and come up with, then we don't have to fish. Because they could come up with it on their own. But when things happen in history, the only way you can know something happened in history is to either see it and experience it yourself or to have what? Have somebody tell you about it. If I were to tip over this this, this podium, the only way you would know this podium tipped over is if you saw it yourself or you heard someone tell you because it happened in history. We can philosophize about how great a podium it is. That's just opinion, you know? But the fact that it tips over, that's history. I came up with this example, may or may not be good, <laughs> as all my examples are. Um, but imagine, do we have, how many Vikings fans do you have here? All right. Now, when you think of the Vikings, when you think of the Vikings, you could, only that many, really? <laughs> Less illustrations about the Vikings. I don't, <laughs> it's the off season. Who? What about twins? How many twins fans do we have? There we go. All right, let's talk about the twins then. Something I know so little about, but... That's all right. When will I, when is that? What's new, right? Um, okay. Imagine the twins. You can have all kinds of debates. Let's think in your head, you think the twins are the best baseball team ever. All right? That's your belief. That's subjective. There is no way to prove that. There is no way to disprove that. That's what you believe. And you can quote your stats. You can quote your rationale. But that's just a belief. It's subjective. Let's say this year the Twins win the World Series. Let's just dream, right? We're talking about dead people rising from the dead, so we can talk about this, right? Um, it can happen. <laughs> Why? Well, I, I must have missed something. All right. But again, what else is new? Okay, just imagine, though. Imagine they win the World Series. That, and that is a historical thing. That is, uh, if that happens, it is historical. It actually happened. It's an event. It's objective. They may or may not have been the best team in the world. They just, in that series, won. It takes all the, the subjectiveness out of it. And the only way to come to this conclusion is to know that it happened, to be there or to have someone tell you. Christianity is grounded in history. And while it's fun to engage in intellectual debate, that's not ultimately why we have to fish. We have to fish because there's no way for people to know something that happened, things that are happening, unless someone shares them. Does that make sense? That, to me, was paradigm shifting. Paradigm shifting. Because I so often find myself trying to convince rather than share. And we get in big trouble. In fact, as... As I reflected on what, what Pastor Stanley said, I, I realized now a lot of other scriptures make more sense in that context. The scriptures about what we boast in. What, what, is the, 
the one area that, um, that the Bible gives us permission to boast in. To boast in what? Hmm? On the cross. That's what we can boast in. We can boast in, in, the, in, the, in, in the Christ in the cross. That's it. And, as I mentioned earlier, admittedly, that is foolishness. So the one thing we get to boast in is foolishness to the world. But it's the very power of God. But it's foolishness. It doesn't make sense to rational, enlightened Western minds, and it's a stumbling block for those who embrace the Old Testament, not the New. So that's what we can boast in. We are not to boast in being superior. And, and, um, and those of you who aren't believers, hold us accountable to this when it sounds like we are. Hold us accountable. If we, ever, if we are ever comparing our education to your education when we have a discussion, hold us accountable. We're not to boast in that. That's not what our faith is ultimately grounded in. We're not also to boast in Christianity is a perfectly airtight belief system that has nothing you can criticize or everything is easily understood. Is that the case about Christianity? No. Read your Bible. It's filled with mystery. It's filled with paradox. It is filled with things beyond our ability to neatly put together. What do we boast in? Not in the fact that we have it all figured out and you don't. We boast in something that happened. The events surrounding Jesus who lived 2,000 years ago and how he died and how God raised him from the dead and then what happened as his body was reconfigured into our bodies, the church. That's what we get to boast in. Huge for me. I remember um, Palm Sunday. I think I may have even articulated that I was wrestling with this. We were singing a song called Days of Elijah, and there's this bridge in the song where we sing, there is no God like Jehovah, there is no God like Jehovah, there is no God like Jehovah. We don't sing that because we have this perfectly figured out worldview. We sing it because... There is no God like Jehovah. There is no other God who so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him will not die but have eternal life. We have no book that testifies to ancient things the the same way our Bible does. We have these things. And not only that, we don't have just the history history. We have the history that we're making as God's people the things that he's doing in our midst, the experiences that we're having, individually and collectively, Christianity is grounded in history. Let's look at this next one. I'll just touch on this one. Another reason that we have to fish is because our source of salvation isn't intuitive. Our source of salvation isn't intuitive. Once again, the good news is not something that if you just go out on a trip to the Boundary Waters, and you've never heard of Jesus before, you're just going to come up with that, that that's your source of salvation. Because, again, it's grounded in history. But it's also not intuitive. Our source of salvation is not intuitive. On our own, we might get part of the way. On our own, many cultures throughout history, on their own, without ever hearing about Jesus, came up with the idea that there's a God. That's not unique. You can come up with that on your own. It's not unique that, that many people also came up to the conclusion of we're eternal beings. You can go every, you know, every continent, and you can see that. People had never heard about Jesus. I don't know about Antarctica, but, but the rest of them. Um, you can go to those continents and go way back in time. You can find out people groups on their own, without hearing about Jesus, came to the conclusion that we share that we're eternal beings. One of the things that blows me away is how many cultures 
on their own, not hearing about Jesus, even came to the conclusion that somehow sacrifice is needed. It's interesting. And even some of them, even more specific than that, sacrifice of innocent is needed for the guilty. You can come up with all those things on your own. You can't come up with the Jesus piece on your own. Because the Jesus is a who and not a what. And the what is intuitive. That, okay, if there is a God, if there is an eternity, if I somehow something has to happen for me to get there, then I need to do something, the what. I need to be better, I need to try harder, I need to whatever, I need to have a God who just holds everything on a sliding scale. You, you can come up with all these. You won't come up on your own with a who. That God became a man named Jesus Christ and that there is no other name by which you're saved. If we can put up Acts 4.12 again, you're not going to come up with this on your own. That salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved. That's why we fish. Because the good news is really good. If it was bad news, let them live their lives. But it's good news, and it's good news that is grounded in history. History must be shared. And the the, the source of our salvation isn't one they're going to come up with on their own. Someone needs to share it with them. So I hope this was helpful. This is us introducing this idea, kind of pushing into the question, why fish? Let me quickly show you where we're going to go the next three weeks. This series will be a total of four weeks long, including this week. Um, here's where we're going the next four weeks. What we want to shift now is we're going to shift from the what to the how. What to the how. And one of the reasons I feel strong about this is because I feel like I was told to fish in a way that doesn't work. And I think there are some things we can look at in the scriptures that, that are very different. So here's where we're going to go. Fishing buddies next week. We're going to look at, you're, you're not meant to fish alone. That's one of the good news. It's not this solo effort. We're going to talk about the spirit of Christ and the body of Christ and how those are your best fishing buddies and what that means for us. In two weeks, uh, Pastor Isaiah is going to be sharing fish guts, pressing into this, because I think fear, fear keeps us a lot of times from fishing. So looking at that, and then the last week, muddy waters. Um, I believe strongly that 90% or more of our witness in this culture better be what you do. Only 10% or less is what you say. But yeah, absolutely, that's amen. But when, when it does come time to verbally share the history, the counterintuitive, what do you say? That's what we're going to press into that final week. Whew. So that's where we're headed. Let's close. Let's please stand with me. And let's, uh, let's close together. God, thank you. Thank you that these things that are true are things that are grounded in history. Thank you that these things that are true are, are things that you have revealed to us. And Father, we pray as, as we press into this, these next uh, four total weeks, Lord, that you will speak to us, that you will make us into fishers of men. Not that you will, we will just be taught, but that you will shape us so that the men, the women, the kids, the teens that, that we all encounter Lord, that you could work in and through us to share what needs to be shared to a world that needs to know. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.